0: For free shipping and 365 day returns. Hello everybody and welcome back to the Toon podcast. As always, I'm joined by my good friend, Timmy. Timmy Lang, And this week we have a very special guest again, uh, Nicole Ryan. Um, Nicole has a great story about, um, I suppose it starts negative in terms of she her brother died um, through drug use. But she's become an activist after that and used, um, I suppose, the energy from that, that negative energy, to do so much positive afterwards. So um, I hope you enjoy it. I'm no further you. I'll introduce (laughs) Nicole.
2: Hi, Nicole.
1: Hi, guys. Lovely to be here today.
0: Thanks for coming up to Churchfield to meet us.
1: No problem. Um, It's a lovely area. I've been kind of around here before. I went to college and I went to St. Mary's there every now and then, so... I'm not very familiar with the area, but I've been through it.
0: Yeah, they do the addiction studies course over in the yeah. orthopedic hospital. Yeah. yeah, I met a few people over there. I walked my dogs over there. <laughs> and uh, me and Timmy used to do community service over there as well. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
2: they're a few years long.
0: Yeah, yeah. So look, before we get into, mm-hmm. I suppose, what you're doing now, we always like to start with um, who you are, where you come from, and maybe your early life or...
1: I suppose, yeah, I'm Nicole Ryan, obviously. I'm from Mill Street, so it's a small rural town. Everybody knows everybody. Everybody's not everybody's business. You know, you can't fart sideways and they'll know. Mm. Um, And growing up now, I was very quiet. I was very intelligent, very lazy. But I didn't, you know, public speak. I didn't do any of that. Like, I had dreams of becoming an engineer. So I wanted, I remember in school, in secondary school, I went in my leaving search year, I was seventeenth time. And you, know you have to pick subjects, you have to pick against, and mm. they were all shite, really. But I had to pick business, and I had to do business. And two days in, I was like, nah, I want to do engineering. So I remember going up to my principal, show, and I was like, oh, can I just switch over to engineering? Now, I hadn't done engineering in my life. And he was like, you, like a man couldn't do it, not mind you, and you are a woman. Oh my God. i <laughs> know. <laughs> uh. Yeah. and from that moment on yeah. <laughs> I was set in my ways yeah. so off I went and I was touring a skinny. I went and studied marine and plant engineering I was the only girl there and it was it was so tough from the start like everything was like against me you know and I didn't look like your typical female engineer which is a bit tomboyish you know mm. I had the personality but I didn't have the face to match so the lads just thought I was there for a good time. Like, <laughs> I wasn't. It was really difficult. I got through it, went to sea in 2015. So I was working for Irish ferries. And this time I was thrown in with a load of men. Like, this was different. This was not the lads like. Mm. So I was in there with them. They hated me. My God, did they hate me. Mm. Every day I come into the engine room, I come down and they'll turn around to me and they'd be like, w- why are you here? Like, the lads, like they'd be like, why are you here? this is This is not a job for women your your job is to go home and mine children. Shit. <laughs> oh they were as blunt as that, like, and none of them talked to me my trainer because he had to speak to me to train me he he had to. the rest of the lads were just like just couldn't comprehend why I wanted to be in the engine room. I loved engineering, like I love fixing things, I love building things from an early age, so this was my ideal dream job how um, do you, how do you cope with
0: all the sexism amongst that not oh. being accepted? or being uttered how, how, how does it make you feel how, how did you get through it
1: I think it was it's a very toxic masculine world mm. the maritime industry like you're taught to not show emotion you can't be this way that way you get on with your job you get paid at the end of the day it's quite like the army or the military and navy whatever so I had to put on another layer of hardness on myself um, because I was a woman so the last thing I wanted them to turn around and say was oh, sure she's a woman she's the emotion off her like Mm-hmm. you know i i didn't want that i had to be really careful as well like in a and you think that like there's about 20 girls in the whole college about 360 men like yeah, so <laughs> the ratios was off so even like things like joe you know, having a boyfriend or seeing someone in there like you had to be really careful because like wouldn't slip and that's it like mm-hmm. and yeah i had to be very careful around that so dealing with it i suppose i just got on with it and i'd gotten so far in my career that I was like I'm not gonna let these men stop me and after a while I proved to them that I could do the job just as well as they could and they kind of took me in you know and it was like I was like oh I finally made it you know (laughs) I'm in with the lads (laughs) (laughs) and that was all fun and games and great like and yeah I was striving to be chief engineer I wanted to be sitting at the top of that engine room and be telling them what to do like you know and I actually, I think like their personality softened around me as well, because like they were poor hard men like, mm. <laughs> but they couldn't, they just kind of softened around me because I suppose I was a female and also I wasn't emotional as they thought that I would be. Yeah. So it was, it was great. Like life was just starting out for me. And I suppose my brother on the flip side was completely different to me. He's, he was just, he's chaotic. And in the chaotic way, that's kind of good, you know, like he mm. can be a mess, but he was kind of good. Like boisterous, chaotic. Like. Yeah, like he was like the man is six foot seven. He's huge. Like. What? <laughs> yeah. You wouldn't miss him. You couldn't miss him. And he used to walk around town as well. He played loads. of He went through phases of playing music. Now, he never went to anyone professional. He taught himself. He was shy at the drums, but he's really good at guitar. So he had this little ukulele, this tiny thing now, six foot seven guy walking around. <laughs> in town just playing this tiny guitar which made it look even smaller in his massive hands you know <laughs> and like people were just laughing at him you know and he was just trying to make people smile he he was never structured he hadn't a clue what he wanted to do after he was leaving sort of, like I'd say the majority of people don't know yep. so he said you know I'll just take a gap year I'll go working he was working in town and the man now, he was working washing pots and pans, like, but Jesus, you would swear he was the CEO of like Apple or something. Mm-hmm. He was so proud of it <laughs> that he was making his own money, he was making friends. He was just out here living his yeah. life, do you know?
2: Sounds like a big friendly giant. Yeah. You know, someone like that. He, which he is really pure was.
1: emotional and just oh, just soft. The, the emotion out of him was some second yeah. to none. Like it was he was Either crying, laughing, screaming, shouting, but he was really, really gentle as a person, you know? So, yeah.
0: And what was he doing in college then?
1: He didn't go to college, so he took the year out. He was planning to go back in the following year. He wanted to go to CIT. He was really good at computers, Mm. so he just said, here, look, I'll give him a chance at computer science or something like that. And I'd say he would have been fantastic at it, Um, but he just took that year out, I suppose, kind of find himself, because my brother was always that kind of free spirited type of thing used to drive me insane. Like, it used to just... I was mad. Like I was like, how do you have no plan for your life? Like, what are you doing?" Like, and he was like, oh, "I don't know. Like, I'll be famous one day. You'll, you'll see. You'll see." I
0: think All I right. think a gap year for somebody to after on the leaving sort before they go to college. I think that's a great idea because oh, you would mature an awful lot in a year when you're eighteen to nineteen, and then after a year you've some lived experience. Then you're like, "Do you know what? No, uh, this is what I want to do." Mm. But to know after six after six year what you want to do for your life is a very hard thing to it do. I had
2: a gap year of twenty years. <laughs> <laughs> That was mine. I finished school just <laughs> at fifteen, and there was a gap there for twenty years. So it uh-huh. took me twenty years to figure out what I wanted to do. <laughs> what you got there? Yeah, uh, actually, actually took a But yeah, time.
1: I agree with you. Like, I think it's, yeah, because like I think a lot of people think that they know what they want to do at eighteen, and then I'd say the majority of people don't work in what they specialized in. Do you know what I mean? So it's it's bizarre to think that for young people,
2: yeah. or even what they love. Even something that they love. See, in society, we're just put into jobs or a trade or whatever. The person that's doing them might even like them and they might be in a job miserable for twenty years without the the ability to just move away from it and do something you like.
1: You know, and that's the yeah. It's I suppose school has a lot to do with that. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like you, every every child is a genius, and yeah. then they go to school, and then you know. You don't know what you like. You don't know what your passions are. You're fitting boxes the whole way through, like the leaving cert. If you don't do it, you know your life is over. It's not like you know. I didn't even like. If young people were told, look, the leaving cert, it's a bit of low shit, really, to be honest. And you, there's so many other things and so many ways of getting into places, you know, because they suffer such pressure. Just I just think back to my leaving cert, like it was literally do or die, like. Mm. <laughs> Yeah, I have a daughter like
2: that at the moment, she um even she's only in second year, and she'd be up till one or two o'clock in the morning some nights they do her homework and say, like she she plays a lot of sport as well, and she mightn't get the time, but the pressure on her but she 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 says that she wants to do well and get educated, which is very good because <laughs> when I look at her, I guess a lot of gratitude. Because of my own, she's able to study, just let's say that. Yeah. She's able, when I was her age, I had so much going on inside my head, sitting down and looking at a book or reading something was just mm. impossible, you know. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. So do you know what you were talking about there? You were after going through your struggles with the male-dominated industry and Alex is finding his feet. He took a year out and he was doing the music. Things seem to be going really well for your family.
1: Yeah, it seemed that way. And I suppose we were naive as hell as a family, you know, we thought that what a lot of families maybe would think, especially like in rural Ireland, um, would be, oh, like drugs are bad, you know, we know this, but it kind of happens out there. It doesn't happen here in our on our doorstep, like it would never happen around here. And we never opened discussions with my brother. We thought, number one, the school would. It, no, it's the same as when I was in school, I was told heroin and cocaine were bad if you do them you'll die like and i thought that literally you would die the minute you did it mm. and then i went to college and people were doing all sorts and i was like oh, come here!" they didn't die like you know what's going on here mm. um so for us it was a shock initially when we heard about my brother we weren't too naive to think that you know he might try something like that or something like that um but it was so sudden do you know what I mean? There was there was no warning signs. And what I mean by that is that sometimes when somebody's using and uh, when the family's involved, they understand that there is a chance uh, that they might overdose or they might die. So it's kind of like they prepare almost for it. And now you don't want somebody to overdose and die. You want them to pull through. I totally through.
0: understand what you're saying. If me and Timmy d- died in our drug use, it wouldn't have been that much of a shock. The family's waiting for the call, kind of, anyway. So I, I, I get 100% what you're saying. But when he got the call, it was a bolt out of the blue.
2: Yeah. Was there any indication that he may have been using drugs before that or anything?
1: There was nothing, nothing really. Nothing at all. Like he was just an 18 year old teenager. Just like he'd have a few drinks. He'd have a laugh with his friends. What they were doing, I don't know. But, you know, he moved to the city. He got a new group of friends. And just like any young person, like you're 18, your brain's not fully developed. You don't know what you're doing like you're not thinking of consequences, you're just living in the here now. Like- totally.
0: And at our age, we would have been taking ecstasy. But the, the thing is, these days, it's not just about ecstasy. Like ecstasy is relatively safe and I don't want people to go out using it. <laughs> but ecstasy is relatively safe. But you've other drugs now, like head shop drugs, that yeah. you don't know what, there's no precedent for them and we don't know what's in them. And that that was the drug that he took. It, was, it wasn't like an ecstasy, it was a synthetic drug, was it?
1: It was, yeah. So they had thought they'd done their research um, on this. So they were thinking they were doing this 2CP drug, which would be a lesser drug. It would have been the lesser end of the psychedelic synthetics. But it ended up to be the end bomb. So my brother took, geez, he took enough doses to definitely kill 50 people by himself, unknowingly. Do you know what I mean? And I think about it all the time because how many young people go tonight now and will do Whatever just not exactly. really, you know what they're taking exactly there's no way they can tell or they'll know and are majority of them will wake up tomorrow and be grand like you know but there might be one or two that could be paralysed could have a heart attack something like that or they might even one worse and die from it so yeah he, he had taken it and then he was found up in Greenmount he was in the middle of the floor he was clutching to his chest he'd suffered a cardiac arrest he'd suffered a heart attack And the paramedics, it took them 10 minutes to resuscitate him. So as he was being brought to CUH, his organs were failing. So they had to put him in a coma. And then that morning, as this was going on, I was sailing back from France. We were just pulling into Rosslare Harbour. And I was just getting ready for the day, you know, just having a cup of coffee, looking out at port and my mum rang me. And now I genuinely, because I was home a week before that for New Year's, I'd seen my brother and I hadn't seen him for eight weeks, eight to six weeks. So I was way at sea, So I remember he was like, oh, I'm working. Will you meet me? And I was heading off to see the following day. So I was like, oh, yeah, I will. And he was like, oh, look, I'm going to be a bit late. I'm working a bit later. And I was so close to being like, I just, you know, I'll meet you some other time. But I was like, look, I'm here. I'll just wait for you. And I remember we were standing, I was standing outside the glow, the Ferris wheel. And I looked over to my right and he was just coming over that. Rickety bridge that's over there, you know, and I had to double take. I was like, "Who's that?" And then I was like, "Jesus, that's my brother!" Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was like, "Oh my god!" Like he'd matured so much mm-hmm. in six weeks. Like, and we walked through the city. He bought me a croissant, and we hugged, and he walked off because he was living in mccarton Street at the time. And that was it. That was the last There's time I saw the last him. Thing.
2: The last mm-hmm. time you saw him, yeah. You, that memory will stick with you for the rest of your life. It was it, a nice memory though. We were fighting. <laughs> <laughs> At least you got a croissant, didn't yeah. you? <laughs> <laughs> no. But um, do you think moving to the city would have had um, any form of effect on on what happened?
1: I'm sure it might have played a factor, but... I don't know if he was going to do it he was going to do it Mm -hmm. you know that kind of way be it in the city in the country or wherever so he might have been more exposed to it but I don't think so judging by what is going around now at the moment there's no city town or crevice safe in Ireland from drugs so it was just could have been a case of wrong place wrong time wrong company I don't know but we'll never know really you know that kind of way
2: you know the damage you've done to your family, your mother, yourself, and the rest of your family. So if there's if, if there's somebody watching here tonight, and they're using drugs crazy, chaotically, what would you say to them like about about the family? They're they're probably thinking that their families are giving them shit constantly because there's a drug use and this and that. It's not even about that, really, is it? It.
1: It's not because the destruction it causes and it's it's not it's not it's to yourself that you're using yeah fair enough but if you die you're done your pain is over but your family has to carry that pain every day for the rest of their lives mm. um so it's really hard of course you know it depends like how much you're using and i also think things about like using drugs and stuff it's more about our behaviors and our relationships with substances that's the problem as opposed to the drug itself you know the drug's a chemical it'll do what a chemical's supposed to do but it's our relationships like even myself like when my brother died i started drinking like mad mad um i tried to like forget this was a huge story in the news you know and everywhere i went i remember sitting down in um where was i the rising suns you know i was sitting there by myself and there was two lads across from me they obviously didn't know who i was like but they were talking about Alex right there, you know, and I was like, oh, I just want everybody to forget it. Like, But I started drinking then and I was trying to drink to forget, but it wasn't working anymore. And it started to become problematic. My feelings, everything had start to come out in panic attacks, all these awful, like I'd just be a mess. like. And I kind of went to a place where I was like, look, I have to do something. If I don't stop, I'll join my brother fairly soon. So I made that decision then afterwards, but it wasn't easy, you know what I mean? Mm. And even, like, in the last year, I've given up drinking since January, but again, with all the pressures going on, I started to find myself slipping into that problematic use again. You know, I was cancelling things because I was just hungover. I Mm. couldn't deal. I couldn't deal with it. And I was like, this needs to stop.
0: Like you were talking there about the alcohol use and the panic, very normal response to a traumatic event that you experienced, very normal. Um, I think, the I remember when that happened, I remember when your brother died, it was like one of them, it was a big moment in Cork, you know, Yeah. because it wasn't like, um, as I said, you know, somebody like myself or Timmy that was in addiction, that died. there's an air of inevitability about that. It's not so shocking, it happens all the time. But when it's a young person that takes a synthetic drug at a house party, that that comes from maybe not a disadvantaged area, um, that's, I suppose, that's more shocking. Um, and I remember when that happened, um, and there was a, a moral panic then around drug use and drugs. But I think you make good points in terms of, it's not like a, a drug is a chemical, and it'll do what a chemical is supposed to do, but it's our relationship with it. And I always say... I never... My life had a drug problem. My problem was not drugs. My problem was managing my emotions. Coping with life. Drug free. That was it. Because I worked in... Homeless services. And I was surrounded by drugs. I was never once tempted. Handing out medication, Valium. Giving people syringes. You know, safe safe injecting. um, And all that. Never was I tempted. Seeing people smoking heroin and tin file. All these things that i done. was never tempted. Why? Because my relationship to the substance had changed, you know? And it's an important point, you know what I mean? And I think that, the, I suppose, the old ways of giving drug education, now if you take this, you're going to die, if you take that, you're going to die. When a young person takes it and they don't die, then they're going to disregard everything else they've been told. So I think it's about making young people informed, you know what I mean, and giving them the education around it, like this is the harms of this drug and this is the harms of this drug and you're more likely to end up in addiction if you do this or if you use this drug you might not die but your quality of life won't be great either yeah and these are the kind of conversations we need to have with our young people
1: yeah we need to be honest about it because like i just i just remember it's the whole relationship thing now like i'd be very like you james now like i just remember being told that oh you'll die if you use drugs you'll die I went to college. I my all my friends were lads like we were in a group and for 3 years I didn't use anything. And I watched them use and I was here spending 100 hours every night and absolutely pissed dying for 2 days and they were grand. I was like, "Why are they grand? What is going on? Like what is what is so special about this?" And that was actually in turn a classic example of lying and telling people, "Don't do it, you'll die." I saw that they didn't die. So then i was like let me try something let me try a yeah. bit <laughs> and i did and now the fact of the matter is it was a hell of a lot of fun yeah. <laughs> yeah it really was but i came to a point where i was like nah this isn't the life for me and i mm-hmm. just stopped like i just that was it i cut the relationship but i still see some of the lads now and they're beyond they're gone beyond that point there's you know Their lives have been just ruined by it. And some haven't. Some are able to stop. But again, it's that relationship. Like it's my relationship with cigarettes. I smoke like smoking back when I was 15 when everybody said "Don't, don't do it like and I did it. And sure, 10 years later, I was still smoking fags. Horrible. But when I had a coffee, I'd smoke a fag. And that was the link that I made mentally in my brain. And that was the relationship I had. So when I gave up cigarettes, I don't drink coffee anymore because it was a link. Mm. yeah for me you know that makes sense <laughs> that
2: makes sense but uh, another drug there cocaine a lot of people when they're when they're drinking they'll only get a bag of cocaine then you know so um, it's, it's, it's quite similar but, but towards the end the addiction can become so strong you don't need drink anymore exactly mm. and you're actually taking it going to work you're taking it everywhere you need it constantly then and that's when the damage, it causes real mental health uh, problems and issues with yourself. Like, for, for instance, towards the end of my own addiction, I was so paranoid. I uh, had to walk around with a hood and I'd peep out the windows before I left the house. That's, they are the consequences to uh, addiction, uh, um, to serious drugs. Mm-hmm. But heroin is a lot different. No, I've never used heroin, um, but... Um, from what I seen from my own family members using heroin, it was they they were more much more kinda of relaxed and and chilled out on the use of it, but um their kind of dignity and their self respect yeah. went a lot quicker. Mm-hmm. Towards the end my own was gone as well, I couldn't even have a conversation with someone, I couldn't I couldn't put a sentence together because um it just destroyed me you know, because I was at it so, it was just erratic, my, my behaviour around it was chaotic, and it wasn't that I was using cocaine every day, it was that I was using it on a binge for maybe five, six, seven days, no sleep, Um, I'd be hallucinating, then mm. be seeing all the forms, I think it'd be people in, I remember one time I was living in a place out the country, and I walked in the door, I was on the bender for about five days at the time, and I went up the stairs. I thought there was someone in the attic. I was shouting up the stairs, "Come out! I know you're in there!" I went in And then I started searching the drawers inside. And uh, these are just drawers, like, but it's crazy. The 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 actual long term damage. Mm-hmm. Like myself and James have always spoke about what, like, what are the actual effects? We never know the effects of of what it has caused to us, because. Um, if we didn't take it and, and, and we are have taken it you're, you're not going to know the difference mm-hmm. you know it's just it's just crazy and
0: but there is an element of Russian roulette about the whole oh, thing unbelievably and oh, yeah. like your brother was a very unlucky boy at the same time he was in a house with other people mm-hmm. that took the same drug mm-hmm. and they obviously they didn't die no. I've been in situations where I've taken the same drugs as somebody else and they have died I've friends that have died and they've taken less drugs than what I would have taken it's just you wear a plain Russian roulette. And when you put that substance into your body, it doesn't matter what it is, you don't know where the dealer is after getting it. Sometimes the dealer doesn't know where he's after mm-hmm. getting it. He's at the passing through so many hands cut and chopped and mixed and everything, danced on, and by the time you ingest it, you actually don't know. And these th- th- this is what we need to be telling young people, take it if you want to take it. But just know this is where it's after coming from. Yeah. Do you know? This, yeah. So do you know like when he died You got caught up with anxiety and the drinking and all that. How did you manage to pull yourself out of it?
1: Do you know, I always question that myself. I suppose I've fought against the odds from a young age. So I've always always had this resilience reservoir, I suppose. But I recognise that if I didn't do something with the grief that I had, because I wasn't in a place where I was able to start showing it, um, I'm... Very much like um, James McAvoy in his uh, Split movie, twenty-three personalities, and telling Ten, yeah. I am. <laughs> um, like, cause like I often like meet people, like I've met people in my course and stuff like that, and I remember actually one of them, Susan Walsh, you know her? I know, you know Susan. Her, yeah.
0: yeah, she's neighbour of ours.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so Susan, when she first met, she's the same course as me. She's you know? mad. She is, and she was saying like, she's like, I thought you were right, stuck up. I thought you thought you were better than everybody else is the way you walk you carried yourself and you <laughs> walked in there looking like that, like and I was like, Susan, and we're the best of friends now, like, yeah. you know? And she, I was like, Not at all. It was actually, I suppose, a defence mechanism. Whereas on the inside now I thought I was less than everybody in the room. Like I had no self confidence internally. But to compensate for that, I would look on the outside as mm. if I was the most confident person in the world you know yeah. it was a facade so I think I got to the point where I literally there was nothing else to lose for me I had lost my whole future I hear everything all my dreams hopes died with Alex at the time and I remember saying because I did his eulogy um for his funeral and then people after were like geez you're great at speaking you should speak properly you know you should speak you should tell his story and I was like no it's stupid like who's gonna want to know and I fought myself for a solid week on this. I was like, "Yeah." And then you know that that old critic come mm. in, yeah, whoo, you? like you don't know nothing but nothing. You can't do this. And I said it to my friend, and I goes, "Look, what you think if I did this? What you think about that?" Like, and she said to me, "Look, the worst that you that can happen, choose nothing. Like that's the worst possible case. You throw it out there, nothing happens. Because uh, and then she was right. You know, she, I had lost everything. The only way from here was either death or up." So it was a choice that I made, you know. And, yeah, I went head first into it. hadn't a clue. I thought I knew drugs. I knew nothing. Do you know what I mean? And it's ironic because it took my brother to die for me to understand the bigger picture.
2: I had to find your purpose.
1: Yeah. Even. Exactly.
2: You know, like a lot of people, it sounds to me, it's your purpose, but something bad had to happen for you to actually find your purpose in life. Yeah. You know, and, and that's one of so, some something that everybody longs to find is is that one thing that is purposeful in their life that they can actually enjoy doing and do it every day you know but
0: it's about you about taking a negative like what myself and timmy talk about as well you know we've had bad experiences and we've done bad things and a lot of negativity and a life full of negativity and negative emotions and all these things but then when we come into recovery, it's like, how how can we take all that negativity and do something with it? And we, you know, I had the same inner dialogue as you when I was going on the Tommy and show. And it took me a year to actually say yes, because I said no the first time.
1: It just looks, you look so cat. It's,
0: it's, you know, it's, a, it's a facade. It's a facade, like you said. But it's like... Would you think you are? And even when we started this podcast, we're like, will people be like, you'll oh, always have the two that. boys. Who the fuck do they think they are? on, you know, they were doing this and they think they this and that. Now all that is going on, but you know why? You just have to take a leap of faith at the same time. You know, I know like if your motivation is right, like you, you got into the public speaking and raising awareness around drug use your motivation was right and that comes across then the people say, no, I'm not fucking fair play at the ball. She could have went so many ways with this, but she's going to do it. She's going to use it for the right reasons and people respect that. I totally respect what you're doing. I think there's great credit to you. Yeah,
1: yeah. I think it's just, it's this grief. This is what carries it, you know. There's so much of it and I've only started to skim the surface four years on and it keep, gives me that motivation and like I still have that voice. Like, mm. today, I was like, what are you doing, like? Mm. <laughs> come yeah. on this Because what do you think you are? <laughs> like, yeah. you know, you'll always have that. And you'll always have people. Like, I remember two years in, I think a year and a half in, someone, one of my friends said to me, we were in the pub, we were just, you know, things got a bit heated. And they turned around to me and they said, you're only getting famous off the back of your brother's death. Mm. And there came that voice. And it was like, you know, that's what people are thinking of you. And you know, that's what people think. And I lost my purpose for a second. That wasn't why I started this whole thing, you know. I was like, look, if I can just help one person, that's all I want. Mm -hmm. And then I started going down the spiral of like, oh God, is that what people are saying about me? They probably are. You know, maybe you should stop. Like, you're no expert. You're no this, that, the other. But sometimes, you know, you can't buy experience. Like, no matter what, you can't read about it. You can't read about it. You can't study it. You experience, personal experience is the strongest thing, you know and yeah it's a lot of my grief goes into this it's a really weird way of keeping him alive you know and
0: you have a charity in his name
1: I'm not a charity everyone always thinks I'm a charity Jeez, no I'm a business oh <laughs> a
0: business. CEO well, <laughs> no fair players <laughs> it's, it's a big distinction if you have to live as well I
1: suppose yeah, you do you that's know. the yeah, yeah you have to because like I still have bills to pay they didn't go away I <laughs> you
2: know. know you just said it there your experience and your family's experience that needs to be spoken about people need to hear that yeah. people need to be educated particularly young people in, in secondary when they're in secondary, they're finding their group, their peers that they're going to spend time with. Um, may it be the educated kids who are h- highly educated, you know, are the kids who are in between, are the kids at the bottom who have maybe a lot of problems going on at home or may have their own mental health issues or, or insecurities or whatever. Maybe, you know, these, these, these kids really need education around drugs, know and they need to be told the story like Alex's, you know, it, a guy that probably wasn't using drugs what, six months? You know, it can happen to anybody.
1: That's it. It can happen he to is.
2: absolutely anybody. Everybody needs to hear that. Yeah. You know, there needs to be more education inside in schools. And and it's vital not just schools everywhere. Because like the problem with cocaine inside in in, in, in this country at the moment yeah. is massive. It's massive like um, and a lot of people can only come out of their shells when they're on it. That's the only, That was the only time I came out of my shell. I couldn't even, James would tell you, like when I used cocaine and drink and stuff, it was like I was a different person. I had that different little bit of uh, confidence and I was able to speak and talk. Behind, behind all that, I was just a shell, like, you know, I was just existing. I had my own problems with mental health, but this is very, very important. For me, the drugs did save my life up to a certain point because they kept me out of my head in terms mm-hmm. of the thinking that would have went on if I wasn't using, you know, all my all, all the shit that went on in early childhood, all this, the, the mental health issues, you're no good. You said it there a little ago, you've, you're not worthy. And all these, these are all things that were in my mind all the time, but drugs came along, and I was able to talk to a girl at fifteen because I I was I was drinking and drugging it, you know, early, and I couldn't I couldn't if you started talking to me when I was young, I couldn't look at you in the face. <laughs> I was so shy, you know. I I never knew how to be able to speak to people. I had no self esteem. I had no confidence. I'd nothing. You know, so it's very important that people go into schools and talk. Like myself and James, we've spoke about it. When the opportunity comes, we will, we will make an effort in in trying to get into schools and show people what is there. If you no know, debt is there as well, mm-hmm. but we need to show them what is there if they go into that life. I
0: think the, that's you know like like Alex knows um, experimenting at the age of 18 so we and so do most 18 year olds yeah. let's be honest about it if it's not alcohol it's something else but people do experiment at that age it's a normal enough thing to do but when you start using substances and you have underlying issues like poor mental health, low self-esteem, trauma, traumatic childhoods the substance then it doesn't become about having fun at a party, it becomes a way of coping with everything yeah. else and that substance will take over your life. So if you're not like let's say if you were kind of mature as a person, you're you know, going through your college, you tried the drugs, you were you know, able to say, you know what, I've tried it, I don't want it, I'm gonna move away. But if you were after coming through I don't know, whatever sort of adversity people come through not saying you haven't been through adversity I'm sure you have I know you have because you've told us but some people that come through um, abuse or neglect or if they have like, like Timmy was talking about he he low confidence low self esteem all of a sudden the drug is the compensation for all that and the drug then becomes more important than the study and you're more likely to walk away from the study than the drug mm-hmm. but thankfully you were able to walk do it the other way around So that's important as well. I just want you to tell us a little bit about Alex's adventure, your company.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I suppose I started off with just workshops. You know, I just started off telling the story and I wanted to educate young people about the drugs that are, they are going to come across commonly in their circle. So like things like ecstasy, MDMA, they're always going to come across that. Um, Cannabis. That's always number one for them. Um, Alcohol and benzodiazepines, big, huge prescription drugs that's mm. creeping up very, very fast on young people especially. Um, so I tell them the story. I do the de- demonstration with them. Demonstration is really fun. So I bring out my drugs. Well, I, they're just powders. <laughs> <laughs> flour and stuff. Yeah. And I line them out and I ask them. I come up, ask them from the audience you know, to come up and cut out their dose of what they would take and think it would be safe to take, you know. <laughs> Gas crack, we all have laugh. And all of them always die because it's quite a lot what they take. You know, they always think it's that general line that we all see on TV or in TV shows or whatever.
0: Pulp fiction job. Just,
1: yeah, (laughs) just great. So then I, you know, show them, you know, you might have had an overdose. You probably wouldn't. We'd be calling an ambulance, you know, anything can happen. And then I switch it over because I give them actually synthetic drugs and all of them dead within Mm -hmm. the space of an hour. And the whole point of that is to show you that you never know what you'll have. Because, you know, I play the role of drug dealer, so I don't care. Like, I'll just sell you whatever. I'm not going to be taking that stuff. But they're always very shocked that this is, like, this can happen. Like, what? Like, the drug dealer was dishonest? (laughs) You know? But that's the reality of it.
0: You bring up a vital point there. It's about when you have a punitive-only response to drugs, like heroin, cocaine, cannabis... Um, Criminalise the drug, the drug make the drug illegal, and that's the only thing to do with that drug. Then, you have synthetic drugs that come in their place that are legal for a period of the time that are much more dangerous, mm-hmm. like the N bomb, like methadone, like fentanyl. All these are way more dangerous than the actual drugs that were banned in the first place. You know, and in America, they had the big issue with. Um, opioid prescriptions doctors prescribing Oxycodone um, Percocet and all these things and they actually banned doctors from prescribing them drugs and now they have a huge fentanyl and heroin problem because the people that are on these uh, opioid tablets they're still addicted you cut the prescription where they're going to go to the street and if you have a big bust of cocaine in Cork where do people go they go for the method the blow. You have a big bust in heroin. What happens? Fentanyl is brought in because it's stronger and you want need. So it's it's a, it's a it's a dangerous balance. Like the police or the guards do have a mm-hmm. place in the drug, I suppose epidemic or the drug scene. Yeah. But if when it's the guards only response, we're missing a lot of stuff. You know.
1: We we do. There's a lot of things that we miss. You know, education and not penalizing people like just general perceptions of people who are drug users it's just sad you know because people don't see themselves as like for instance even with steroids steroids is a big thing that's starting to happen Mm. men who inject don't see themselves as injecting drug users they just see themselves as putting steroids into their body but they are injecting drug users you know it's that perception that it's never going to be me and i always think of people how you know Let's say I was a habitual drug user I was using all the time. I wake up and I'm skagging hard. I go out, I ask for money. And like I, people had often said to me before, you know, what are you giving the money for? Like, you know, he's only going to start using. I'm like, yeah, well, I'm helping him today. Mm -hmm. I'm keeping him alive today. That's the point. I'm not, I don't care what he spends it on. What's five euro to me like, you know? Yeah, but he's going to spend it on heroin. Good, you know, he's alive. People think that
2: it's it's very easy for an addict to sit in the street. Yeah. That's not an easy thing at all. You know, we've often came across people sitting in the streets, and we know a lot of them. It's not an easy thing to sit there and be ashamed of yourself at all. That's, that's, that's really yeah. bad. But if, if for somebody to give them a few quid, it takes them off the street and they're gone and they're not feeling that bit of shame that yeah. they're there for a few hours. Like, you're actually helping them. People think... Oh, we all know what they're going to do with it. You know, because I would have done the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> do you know? Well, how but else
0: it's... How else can you actually survive a mm-hmm. harsh reality like living in homelessness without a drug? Like, how else can you survive it's it? You impossible. need... And we said, Timmy bumped into somebody there recently on Paul Street, you know, where were where to be begging there. We stopped talking to him. We gave him 20 euros. We knew well why he was going. He started crying when we gave it yeah. to him. He couldn't get over the generosity because normally they 20, 30 cents, you know, you might get a... We gave him twenty euro, he you know, he started crying, he started getting a tuck in his heart and all. And he got up and he walked away. We know for a fact he's gone scoring and do know you'd be thinking, Was that the right thing to do? But you know what? If it gets him off the street for a few hours, do you know what I mean? If it makes his day a little bit easier, isn't that isn't that isn't that okay to give him the two or three euros or the couple of euros if you have it, you know? Because
1: mm-hmm. like, like you're not gonna, you know, save his life there and then. No. You're not gonna be like, Oh let me take you in there and save your life in the space of 24 hours and turn it around. You don't have the capacity to do that. No, no. But you you're, show,
2: you're showing them that people are actually good, though. Yeah. What you're doing is giving that fella a little bit of hope because he's seeing that people aren't against him. There actually are people there that want to help him. And he actually started talking and then afterwards that he was going to make an effort to try to get into treatment. Mm. You know, because behind that that young lad, there was there's a family. There could possibly be young kids or a partner. You know, there's and they all have their own separate story. Mm-hmm. You know, and separate heartache that's going on for them because they're looking at a loved one, destroyed. Mm. You know, it's it's a really really sad thing, and one of the most important things for me to, to get across to people that do listen to our show is to show people that judging people that are really destroyed from from drugs and alcohol it doesn't help anything Mm. you know try to have a small bit of compassion from like because nobody actually does wake up in the morning and decide to go that they want to be homeless or they want to be strung out or they want to be inside in prison because they had to go away and rob a shop because they needed Mm -hmm. money for heroin or crack or whatever you know, it's it's a problem that we have to deal with in society, and we have to look at ways that to, to deal with it other than courts. Yeah. Like, can you imagine?
0: Can you imagine the guards come into that house when your brother and his friends are there? They were all arrested. Like, would you see them young people as criminals? They're not criminals. They're only young people. They're only eighteen. They're having a party. They're having fun. They're not criminals. But the letter of the law says they need to go to court and be convicted. That's a madness. What do you think about decriminalisation and that whole that whole policy of criminalising that that we have at the moment?
1: I I think it doesn't work. It doesn't work because there's so many factors and such variance. Like it's not just black and white. Mm. You know, if I'm using and if I get caught with a tiny bit that I'm using to keep myself alive, I suddenly get put into jail and okay. I'm in jail, they put me on a programme and then they throw me back out. My problems aren't fixed. I still have my issues. And now I'm back in society. And I always think that people forget that the drug community is just that, a community. The Mm. users know each other. Everybody knows each other. So if I'm in between this way where society still sees me as a drug user, even though I've been to jail, even though I'm clean, society still doesn't want to accept me, you know, and I'm trying. I can't. So what am I going to do? I'll go back to what I know because yeah. the drug community is going to have me again. No,
0: about any them? any response and my own research and my master's kind of showed this. Any response to drug use that doesn't involve addressing economic deprivation, homelessness are futile. Like you will never get somebody into recovery if that person is homeless leaving the treatment centre or the prison. Like homelessness is a huge factor in chronic addiction Mm -hmm. and mental health is a huge factor in addiction too and you don't have to be homeless or from a deprived area you can be a student I know there's huge pressures on students and you know to stay up late and study and then like I remember when I was in college as um, a mature student you know um, I could never understand how the young people got through college with the distractions that are there (laughs) from from a male perspective the women drinking the partying the drugs all these things i think if i was 18 new in ucc i would not have got through the course
2: <laughs> it's some life though when 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 you're looking at the, the young people like um it's some life they have there was times like i was what 30 i was in the cit for the last four years and nearly 40 um next year and i was looking at all these 20 21 year olds and Looking from the outside, they were having so much fun like <laughs> no their grades weren't great. They were having a ball and yeah. I was like fucking hell I'd love to be there. And again, but be a little bit mature yeah. because when I was eighteen I was 20, I, I would have been in, in, in two treatment centres already at the age of 18. Uh, I know, uh, I was
0: in court Prison at 18. <laughs> and we, we, you know, when we were 18, we looked at the students in OCC and thought they <laughs> were sausages.
2: Uh, weird. It was just it, it just, it wasn't something that was normal to us, you see. Um, Posh you know, boys or something. Really. It just wasn't something that we, we people never done it mm-hmm. for, in our area. No, we, there was people, but we never see it. You know, my I would have never seen it, and I'm sure James would have never seen it. But the only thing I want now is for my two kids mm-hmm. Just keep on educating them. You know, because for me, when I got educated to what I have now, um, it gave me a little bit, it gave me self esteem, it gave me confidence, it's things that I never had before. I felt like I could have a conversation with people, and and, st- and understand their vocabulary. I never had any of that you know I don't feel like a child in the conversation anymore so it's fantastic it's it's that little bit of power it's given me you know and, and we all we emphasise as well the importance of trying to get people into education people are from not just your or field or any area in the north every area education is it, it should it's free mm. it should be free you know and, and it's very important and I think it's it will give other people what has given me as well, you know, that, that extra little bit of confidence to, to get in the door and get these good jobs where we can be able to have a good life and provide for our families. And uh, instead of, you know, being just sectioned out of yeah. society uh, because we have an addiction or, or because we're not we're not educated enough, you know, um, I, I don't agree in um in construction management and I done my dissertation on the mental health in construction industry and it came out that those the men in the construction industry, out of all men, right, say out of four suicides, three of those would be men from the construction industry, right? And the majority of those three would be from the lower kind of mm. theory, your general operative, your labourer. Your platters, electricians, but the higher up, then it gets lower. The percentage gets lower, and something m- needs to be done to help those people as well. There's no mental health education inside there. No, you know they're just working there f- five days a week. They get their money on the Friday, because what's going through their head from Monday up till the Friday is the weekend. Yeah, and you know why I'm saying that because I was there. I, that was my life. Mm you know and cocaine
0: use is a huge huge. factor in construction actually there's a report I think it was released today or yesterday cocaine use has actually surpassed opiate use to become the second most used substance in Ireland
1: behind alcohol but everyone's using every single person in any profession do you know what I mean like if you're using it as like a judge barrister solicitors all of them they're using it to keep stay awake and stuff like that you've the GAA the lads that play sport use it because you know if I have a match I can't be drinking pints because that's just going to deteriorate me but sure a few lines of coke is grand yeah. like you know it'll give me that buzz it'll give me that confidence it'll give me a great night off I go playing my game the next day yeah. and people don't realise that like, it's, it's, it's
0: become normalised hasn't it
1: it just is yeah you know we we'll just get back coke just yeah, get back coke no. it doesn't you have know? the stigma
0: yeah. it doesn't have the stigma the of...
1: shame and the stigma no it's gone like yeah. I remember my time there was still that shame because you know people run upstairs and they'd go upstairs and they'd hide and everybody downstairs in the party would know what's going on but nobody's doing it so blasé mm-hmm. but now like you'll walk in College Road you'll walk into a party no I don't, I don't be making habits of walking to parties way too old for that but you would walk in and they'll be asking you do you want a line or do you want a drink yeah. just like that
0: yeah but look before we finish up the call, I just want to ask you one thing so there's a lot of families in our area and beyond that have been affected by uh, drug use in the family or the death of a loved one have you any words of comfort or advice that you could give somebody having been through it yourself I know no one putting you on the spot
1: <laughs> you're good <laughs> I don't want to say that it gets better because it really depends Um, it never gets better because better is having him here do you know what I mean um you get stronger as a person but that again is down to your own decision you know you can sit there and play the victim for as long as you want and it's a you're welcome you're allowed to be a victim I allowed myself to be a victim I had every right to be but I didn't allow myself to stay the victim you know it's trying to find something that you can keep waking up for. Finding that purpose, you know. And it can be really small for some people. It doesn't have to be out there giving talks, do you know what I mean? It could be just out there volunteering or doing my little tiny bit to help um, the situation. Or even talking to your friends, do you know what I mean? The amount of friends that I've like, not convinced or turned because i not a cult. But just open their mind to looking beyond, were well, you are giving him five euros, he's only going to spend it on drugs, to... Now they're giving them the five euros, mm. do you know what I mean? Uh, it's about trying to open people up and also taking care of yourself. Like, I never went to therapy until my brother died. I had this principe notion that, like, oh, this isn't going to work. But it's the best thing that ever that I ever did. It saved my life because I am able to understand why I react, how I am, why I am the way I am. And people who've lost somebody due to drugs um, or due to some sort of a traumatic event like that, you know, don't be afraid to seek the help, you know, because there is a lot of loss, a lot of pain that you need to start working through to move on, you know. You'll never forget. Mm. But you can try and help yourself too, you know, and try not to stay the victim always. That's a good yeah. advice.
0: Yeah, and like yeah. for people watching... They might feel like that there's not a way out of the depression and the, the suffering and the grief, but there is, there is a way of managing that and maybe living a fulfilled, if not happy, life. You can get some quality of life back, um, just not allowing yourself to be brought into the depths of it for the rest of your life. You know, as yeah. you said, you'll never, you'll never have them back, and it's just about doing what you can today, um. And look, it's not an easy thing to do. What if people want to contact you? How can.
1: Oh, yeah, they can go on the website, which is alexadventure.ie, Facebook, Instagram, the whole lot, I'm there. Um, and just reach out to me because I'm always up for a cup of tea, a cup of chat, like with anybody, do you know what I mean? Because a lot of people have given me their time, so I always give my time back.
0: Yeah, brilliant, well thanks for coming to Churchfield, okay.
1: thank thanks. you <laughs> And
0: um, I'm, we'd love to have you on again sometime oh
1: not, not a bother <laughs> we, 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 we
0: could have went longer but uh, our producer there has me the A's so thanks a million and look thanks to everybody that's watching um, we'll see you all next week, any final words Tim?
2: Um, no and just for, for anybody that is watching um, and they're in the group of addiction and their families are Give them shit basically over what's going on. They have to try to understand that their families are really worried, you know, because this lady here, she lost her brother to it and, and she knows exactly what happens to family members, you know, the pain and suffering that they go through, you know, when a loved one is gone. So, uh, this might help you, yeah. you know, just to see what has happened here. You know, um, and just make that first step and try to get a bit of help and look for it. You know, it is there and I all, always say it, the help is there. You just have to ask for it and and think that you're no different to anybody else. You can get this just as easy yeah. as James got it, myself got it, and everybody else out there. So if that's, that's what it really, yeah.
0: You Yeah. Know? See you next week. Thank you. Good luck.